0: let's turn uh, in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for how you use the Peru team, and pray for continued strength upon Annie and Darwin as they step out in faith and reach out to the community there in Peru. And God, we ask as we open our Bibles tonight that your voice would be what we hear. Definitely beyond the voice of the accusation of the enemy and that you would set us free from condemnation. So please send your spirit and and bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. So the flow of this chapter is it breaks itself up into uh, three sections, and I don't want to geek out too much. This is a little bit of a, a Bible uh, geek out a moment, but on a lot of your translations, as you look through a chapter, uh, there are some bold numbers, and that is added by the translators, but it is really important because the Greek language is written in Paragraphs. Boosh, 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 just like the English language, right? And so when you see a bold uh, letter, or a bold number, excuse me, uh, then that's letting you know that there's a, a new paragraph. So in verses one through six is one paragraph, and then you have your bold n- number, verse seven, that's your second paragraph. So verses one through six, uh, we see two signs. There's two signs that are given, And then from verses 7 to 12 is war in heaven. Satan gets booted out of heaven uh, for the last time. And then verses 13 through 17, the woman that was described the first few verses is uh, persecuted. And in verse 13, another paragraph has been uh, introduced. And what runs throughout this whole chapter is a dragon in, in the book of Revelation. So where are we in this vision that God gave to John? Remember, there were seven seals. And then that led to seven trumpets last week. The seventh trumpet sounded, and that's going to lead to the seven bowl judgments. I think tonight is a really important uh, study, and you're saying, well, why? You know, I thought we were talking about a woman who gives birth to a child and a dragon, and why is this important to me? Because we're going to find in the middle of the chapter that the dragon is Satan, and Satan brings accusation against us. And how are we to deal with that accusation? So though there's a lot of prophecy in this chapter, there's also things that are very practical as well. So let's look in verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. So this is a wonder. It it brings awareness. It gets everyone's attention. A sign is something that God is doing to get the attention of, of humanity. So a great sign appears in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. So the age-old question is, who's the woman? And there's been a lot of speculation about the identity of the woman, Some believe this to be uh, the Virgin Mary, uh, but this causes us a lot of problems because you think of Mary being pregnant in heaven. It's a skewed image on many accounts. Some think this is Mary Baker Eddy and the child is the Christian science movement, which is completely heretical. Others believe that the woman is the church, but as we'll see, the woman gives birth to a child. And and the child is Jesus Christ. And so we as the church don't give birth to Jesus, Jesus is the one who gives birth to to the church. As we'll go through our passage, it becomes pretty clear that this woman is the nation of Israel, and that the Messiah came through uh, the nation of Israel. So first, the woman's clothed with the the sun and the moon, and if you go back to Genesis 37, Joseph has a dream about his family, and in that dream, he saw the sun and the moon, and, and the sun and the moon were his parents, And so that's the very beginning of of the nation of Israel was Jacob and and his wife. And then the the stars, the 12 stars, refer to the 12 sons of Jacob, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. It becomes a lot more clear as we go of this identity of, of the woman. So verse two, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So she gives birth to a child, and this is a sign to, to all of humanity. In verse three, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Pretty hideous. So this is the second sign. Is this dragon? We'll see in verse nine of this chapter that God tells us that the dragon is indeed Satan, uh, that, that the dragon throughout the text is, is Satan. So why the seven heads and the 10 horns and the seven diadems? The seven heads speak of great intellect, that, that Satan, during this tribulation period, he, he has great influence. The 10 horns is great strength, And then the seven diadems refers to kingdoms. And and during the tribulation period, Satan's allowed to have great influence. In verse 4, his tail drew on a third of the stars of heaven and threw them on the earth. Sound familiar? When Satan fell, a third of the angels fell uh, with him. And those stars refers to the fallen angels. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Satan has always come against the nation of Israel. He's wanted to destroy the nation of Israel. And have you ever wondered why? Have you ever asked this question, what's the root to anti-Semitism? Why are so many people historically against the Jews? Why are so many people currently against the Jews? And you have to understand there's a, a demonic reality to it Because Satan, if he could destroy the nation of Israel, then there's no possibility for the promises of God to come true with the the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Mary is, of course, an Israelite. And Jesus comes through the line of David. So Pharaoh, what did Pharaoh try to do? He just tried to destroy the whole people group of Israel. What did Haman try to do in the book of Esther? Tried to destroy all The whole nation of Israel. And more current in modern day history, what did Hitler try to do? Destroy the nation of Israel. Because currently, if Israel gets destroyed and there's no Jewish people, the book of Revelation can't come true. You don't have 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. Jesus returns where? He returns in Jerusalem. There's another temple that is going to be built. And so Satan's very systematic in trying to attack the nation of Israel. And then Satan tried to devour Christ before he was born and as he was born, huh? Through Herod. And and Herod comes against the Christ child to kill all of the baby boys. And God was there to intervene. And so we see the dragon, Satan's attempt to devour the, the Christ child. In verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. So it's very clear that the child, Israel, gives birth to the child, the Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the one who rules the nations with the, the rod of iron. And the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are all leading up to this point in future history when all of the nations, all of the kingdoms, all of of the people serve the Lord. And hopefully we're serving the Lord tonight, but Christ is going to rule and he's going to reign. And what about this caught up to God and his throne? This speaks of the ascension of Christ, that he was caught up to return to the throne of the Father. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. Matthew 24, Jesus is describing the end times. He's describing the tribulation, and he speaks directly to Judah. He speaks directly to Israel, not to the church, to Israel, and he says this, in Matthew twenty four sixteen. he says, "'Then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains.'" And here we find in in the book of Revelation that the the dragon is able to come against Israel and they're going to flee into the wilderness, but God has prepared a place of refuge for them in the wilderness. So of course, Bible teachers and commentaries, Bible students try to guess, well, where is this wilderness that God has prepared? And some think Petra, the ancient city of, of Petra that's in modern day Jordan, but ultimately we don't know, you know? God's got a lot of territory and is able to do anything, and and he has a place prepared for Israel to go to be protected from the attack of the dragon. So verse seven, new paragraph. The focus goes to heaven and the war with the dragon in heaven. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels also fought. The fallen angels, the demons, the demons. So amazing vision for John, you know. John was probably wiped out for a long time after this vision, all the things that he saw. This would be a good time in our study in the book of Revelation, to just read the book in one sitting. Just, just, just read it more like a a, a book, you know, uh, like if you're reading chapters, and just just say I'm going to sit down. Maybe it'll take me two hours, and I'm going to read it through. Or get an audio Bible and, and listen to it online and get the full picture of, of the vision and try to think this is what it was like from John to get this, this vision from, from the Lord. So now his attention's on heaven and Michael, the angel, and his angels are fighting with Satan, the dragon, and the, the, the demons. What do we know about Michael? Well, Michael's name means who is like God. So he's pointing to the glory of God. We know Michael from the Old Testament in the book of Daniel when Daniel was praying. God sends a message to Daniel through Michael the angel. Jude, it is just one chapter, so the small little book of Jude mentions Michael is wrestling with Satan over the body of who? Moses, right? So Michael's a pretty killer angel. Like, it seems like as God rates angels, Michael's got some authority and some angels working underneath him. Of course, Satan is a fallen angel. Demons are a, a fallen angel. But notice as this battle is taking place, Michael and the angels are able to deal with it. A lot of times we think that the devil, Satan, and God are equals, and somehow God and Satan are in this struggle in and, and this battle and it's it's who who's gonna gonna win right this this dates me a little bit, but when I was in middle school, uh, Carmen, a music artist, had this song about Satan and jesus and and so in my Christian school, we had a drama of it where there was like this boxing match you know, and we're acting it all out and there's a point where it's like, oh no, Jesus is going to lose. You know, he's, he's, he's defeated and Satan has won and he thinks that, that he has this victory. And as you're watching this song play out in, in a drama form, you're, you're kind of left with this conclusion like, whew, we, we, we barely eked one out there, you know? We were Croatia in, in, the, in the World Cup and somehow we were <laughs> the underdogs and we were able to win, you know, that, that, that type of thing. And, and God has never been an underdog to Satan. You know, Satan is not an, an equal uh, with God. Michael and the angels are able to, to deal with, with Satan. In verse eight, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for, for them in heaven any longer. So Satan and the demons are, are cast out of, of heaven for good. And this raises a really good question. What are Satan and the demons doing in heaven? I thought they already got cast down when they rebelled yes yes they did they're not permanent residents of of heaven but god has allowed them to have access to the throne room of god we go to job chapter one and satan comes and has a conversation with god and he says have you considered your servant job and he begins to accuse job before god Saying, if you removed your protection from, from Job, then, then he would deny you. And if you really ask this question, I don't know that we have really good answers on why God allows Satan to, to be in heaven. We do understand that through Satan's accusations, we do become stronger. When we have to deal with an, an enemy, we, we know that that pushes us closer uh, to God, but Satan could be here on earth and not have access to heaven. There's some room in our understanding of God where we allow him to be God. We go, I don't fully get this. From from my limited perspective he, here on earth, I don't really understand why Satan didn't get kicked out a, a long time ago. But God God allows it up until this point Uh, in in the future. One of the things I think we need to understand, and we talk about this from time to time, is Satan has been defeated at the cross, at the death and the resurrection of uh, of Christ. And the victory has been won, but the battle is still on. So Satan's still alive. He's still well. He, He hasn't been cast into the lake of fire. There's still a spiritual battle that is taking place and we fight from the position of victory, but sometimes I think we go too far the other way and we just think there's no battle. I mean, if this is recording a battle in heaven with Satan, we have gotta know there's a battle here on earth, amen, right? That we're supposed to be engaged in and, and fighting this spiritual battle and the power of, of God's might. So we get a description of Satan. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old. It's called the snake of old, and that takes us back to the book of Genesis, doesn't it? The first few chapters, where we find Satan tempting Eve and tempting Adam in the form of a snake, and the snake is able to talk. And and what did this old serpent do? First, he begins to question the word of God. Ever find Satan doing that in your life? Has, Has God really said, is this really God's message? on sexuality? Has God really said that all things are going to work together for good? Has has God really said that he's the creator of the universe? Has God really said that there's eternal life? He he wants us to question the word. And then the next thing that Satan did is is doubt the word. Actually, God's trying to keep you from something. You know, don't you want to have the knowledge of good and evil so you can be like God? Planting doubts, in the word of God. Then finally, Satan replaces the word of God. And this is what the serpent does. This is the, the old serpent. And he's called the devil and Satan. What do those words mean? Devil means slanderer or backbiter. So you got this picture of this snake, this tricky snake that's just going around and slandering and, and backbiting. Satan means adversary. He, he's waiting for his opportunity to, to come against us and he deceives the whole world. So this is Satan's approach. His approach is not necessarily the the full on, I'm gonna punch you in the face, right? You you know that kind of bully from growing up. It's like, hey, I'm ticked off at you, I'm gonna punch you in the face right now, right? That's not usually Satan's attack. He's much more deceptive. He's, He's much more manipulative. He comes as the angel of light. And he uses lies that are oriented around the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You you can't live without this. You see that? You've got to have this. Your flesh, you deserve this. Your your flesh needs this. Oh, the pride of life. You need people to, to think well of you. And he comes at us in this deceptive way. He's cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Here's the chorus of heaven. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. They're rejoicing. They're saying, he, he's done. No longer can he come and accuse the brethren. And we find what Satan fills his time with is he loves to bring accusation. So he brings accusation before the Father and goes, oh, Do you see that guy, Eric, right there? Is he really yours? He, he, he just blew it again, you know? And loves to, to bring that before the Father. And thankfully, we're going to see that we've been provided the victory in the blood of Christ. Satan's always going to be that voice of accusation. He's going to bring the accusation before God, he's going to bring it before you. And he's going to try to cause us to think that way towards other brothers and sisters in Christ. So if I'm constantly having this thought that God doesn't forgive, that God's angry, that God can't wait to to bring judgment, it's very likely I could be listening to the voice of accusation from, from Satan. Or if I'm constantly... Glaring and looking at the failures of others. And a lot of times it's people that we're close to. What stands out most about your spouse? What stands out most about your kids? What stands out most about your stinking dog? You know? Satan might be an accuser of the brethren even for the poor dog, right? You know? It's like, get up, dog. You know, you're driving me crazy, you know? Before long, what do you think about your church and your church family? Nobody really likes me around here. No one would even notice if I, I was gone. Oh, I don't think I can trust them. Christians are hypocrites and, and all of a sudden the, the voice of the accuser really gets us. My prayer for us tonight is that God would set us free from the voice of the accuser, from the condemnation of, of the enemy. The Holy Spirit works through conviction. You know, don't get me wrong, God is committed to calling us on sin because he knows that sin destroys our life but the Holy Spirit does it through conviction. Well, what's the difference between conviction and condemnation? Conviction brings us back to Christ. Conviction causes us to mourn because our fellowship with Christ has has been broken. Conviction's all about bringing us back into relationship. You're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit if you're being drawn back to, to fellowship with God and you find yourself focused upon Jesus Christ. But, but condemnation focuses on the failure. And we begin to, to beat ourselves up instead of trusting in the, in the finished work of the cross. A great example of the difference between condemnation and conviction is Peter and Judas. Did you know both were sorry? Judas got a place where he was sorry. But what did he do? He went out and hung himself. He made himself pay for what he had done wrong instead of trusting in what Christ had done upon the cross. Peter was sorry for his sin and he repented. He turned and returned to fellowship with Jesus Christ and allowed Christ to restore him and forgive him. It takes more humility to receive grace and restoration through Christ than to walk in condemnation and to beat yourself up right? It, it's not a big thing to commit suicide. I, I don't mean that it's it's a big thing in that someone's life has been taken, but it's not a noble thing to commit suicide. In fact, it's the most selfish thing that a person can do with, with their life. Uh, Judas was not noble in killing himself, right? He he was in a place of saying, I- I'm condemned, I can't believe that I do this, and he's focused in uh, upon himself. And, that, and that's not noble. You know, what, what is the right thing is the road of humility. What is noble is, is to say, yeah, I've sinned, and God, I need your forgiveness, and I'm trusting in, in the finished work of, of Jesus Christ. So here's where the victory comes, and I'm so thankful for this verse. This is a verse you want underlined in your Bible. You want memorized and even more importantly, that we lay hold of the truths. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So they, speaking of the chorus of believers that are in heaven, they overcame Satan this way. They conquered Satan this way. And the first is by the blood of the lamb. So here Satan is accusing, saying God doesn't forgive you. God doesn't want anything to do with you, and what they hold on to is the blood of the lamb. In 1 John 2 verse 1, it says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So God doesn't want us to sin. John's writing these things so that we wouldn't sin. But if we do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here we sin, Satan brings that before the Father, Jesus is our advocate, he steps in and says, I paid for that, I paid for that, 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 that's mine. I, I took that sin upon myself at the cross. And the Bible says that we're justified, which means we're declared righteous by God. It's an accounting term, it's paid in full. If you had student loans or a car loan, or maybe you were fortunate enough to pay off a mortgage on a house, and you get the news back from the bank that it is paid in full. Whew, no more student loans. No, no, no more car loan. No more credit card. And Jesus is declaring through his blood, legally. He, he's paid the price in full. The payment so that we're forgiven, we're justified, we're declared righteous. And so this group, the reason that they had victory over Satan is they said, I'm not listening to your voice of accusation. I'm holding on to the blood of Jesus. And Jesus declared, it is finished. It's, it's paid in full. And I'm sure there's some of us tonight where we're living in condemnation for, for sin that we commit and struggles that we have. And instead of holding on to the blood of Jesus, we're in self-condemnation. And the way out of that despair and that despondency and I want to do better is to focus on the cross and realize I am forgiven. I'm going to quit trying to earn or deserve forgiveness and I'm going to hold on to this and hold on to the truth of scripture that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But church, this is a battle. This is where you got to get out and wrestle a little bit. This is where you got to fight for this and realize this is spiritual in nature Satan wants me living in condemnation and instead of staying in that place I'm holding on to the truth of who God is and the truth of scripture and how did Jesus fight the enemy he quoted the scripture out loud and the Bible tells us if we submit to God and resist the enemy he'll he'll flee from us we cry out to Jesus Jesus I'm feeling condemned I know that that's not true And I'm holding on to your finished work. And would you please protect me from the attack of the enemy? But what we normally do is we just sit in condemnation. I'm I'm so miserable. You're right. God doesn't love me. The body of Christ hates me. And we would much rather play Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Right? It fits. The shoe fits, right? people ask us how we're doing, oh man, I'm just so condemned. I'm, I'm such a failure. I, I've done it again. And there's not words of Christ. There's not holding on to his truth. If you've had battles with other areas like lust and anger and covetousness, what do you do? You get after it. And you say, you know what? I can't keep thinking this way. These lustful thoughts is a sin against God. And it's the same way with with condemnation. The the way out is to hold on to the blood of Jesus, hold on to his promises, call out to your savior and and ask for, for, for his help. The blood of the lamb really is enough to provide for our forgiveness. Remember the words of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus before his baptism, he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When I'm failing to receive forgiveness from the blood of Jesus, what I'm really doing is I'm undermining the sacrifice of Christ. I'm saying my sin is greater than the blood of God's Son. We don't believe that up here, but sometimes we need to allow that to sink into our hearts. Is the blood of Jesus enough or not, right? And to really hold on to it and, and apply it. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, the last plague that came on Egypt was the death of the oldest son, And they were to kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And then judgment, death passed over their house, but they were having to apply the blood. And real practically, for us to have victory, we have to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our hearts and our lives through faith. The next thing that they did to overcome the enemy was the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. Satan hates it when we give testimony to God's work in our lives. But this is a way of having victory. Share what God has done and is doing in your life. Share his character. It's so good for the person that's listening, but it's also so good for us because it reminds us of God's faithfulness. Share how you got saved. Share how God brought you to Christ. You can never focus on that too much. Share how God's forgiveness is fresh in your life this evening. Share how God is, is meeting you in different challenges and how he's showing himself faithful. If God's spoken to you in the word today, share it with somebody. Because as you're sharing the word, the enemy's being defeated. And you're being encouraged and the person that you're sharing with is being encouraged as well. How come it's so difficult to talk about Christ and who he is and what he's done in our lives. Because Satan knows the power of it. It's easy to talk about the Broncos. Right? It's easy to talk about Chick-fil-A. Right? It's easy to talk about old trucks, Chevy trucks. Come on. Right? But for some reason, when it comes to just sharing, like, oh man, this is what God has been showing me, even with close friends and our own family, They kind of start to, uh, this could be kind of awkward. I don't know if they want to hear it. No, just just share it. Share it with them. They're going to be encouraged. The enemy is going to be defeated. There's power in the word of their testimony. And then finally, they did not love their lives to the death. Jesus told us in Matthew 16, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will. We'll find it. Satan gets a victory in our lives when we're trying to save this life, the comforts of this life, the wants and the desires of, of this life. I've got to make this life be as comfortable as it possibly can. Then that leads us down a road of destruction. When we get to a place where our life is surrendered to Jesus, we're willing to take up our cross and follow Christ. We're not loving this life. We're willing to surrender this life to Jesus Christ then that results in victory. Satan has little territory in our lives when we're surrendered to Christ and we're living for Christ. Living for Christ, though it is not safe, is the best place for us to be. Amen? So God doesn't promise safety on this side of heaven. He says, you may lose your life in in following me, but it's much better than the alternative of living for ourselves and the agenda of this world. And this is how they overcame the enemy. In verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. So this is good for heaven, but it's bad for earth. And that's the message here is earth look out because Satan knows that his time is short. He's been kicked out of heaven, so now he's, he's coming for you. And specifically, he's going to turn up the heat on the nation of Israel. Were you ever hanging out at a pool party and you're a little bit too close to the pool and you see your friend coming and they've got that look in their eye and they're pushing you in, right? And they're they're coming after you. Once you know you're going into the pool, what do you do? You're coming with me. Right? If, I, if I'm going in, you're coming in too, sucker. Right? And this is Satan. He knows his time is short. So he's saying, "Uh -uh, I'm going to take as many people with me. We know time is short for us and for others and all of humanity. We're not going to hell if we know Christ. We're going to heaven. So why would we not take as many people with us? Why wouldn't we attempt to love well, love God well, love others well, be filled with the Holy Spirit, say, God, I want my life to count for you. Verse 13, now when the dragon saw that he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to uh, the male child. So this ties the whole chapter together. Verse verse six lets us know that the dragon had his focus upon Israel for this three and a half year year period. The reason why? The middle fills in because he's been kicked out of, of heaven. And so he... Sees the woman who gave birth to the male child Israel and begins to, to persecute the nation of Israel. But the w- woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half for the presence of the serpent. A lot of question on, well, what does the two, two wings mean? Ultimately, God is saying that he allowed the nation of Israel to get into the wilderness in a very fast fashion. God's supernatural hand of protections upon them, and God gets them to the wilderness and to this place of safety and nourishes the nation of Israel for times, times, and half a times, for, th- for three and a half years. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. The serpent vomited. That's the paraphrase there. That he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood with the dragon had spewed out of his his mouth. So God protects the nation of Israel. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of God of Jesus Christ. It appears that the dragon goes against all uh, believers at, at this point in verse uh, 17. You know, there's a, a lot of question, are Christians in the church in the tribulation? I personally don't think so. I think that we're raptured, we're caught up to heaven before the tribulation and, and before uh, this time. But the key thing to know and understand in the book of Revelations is that Christ is gonna return and Christ is gonna rule And he's going to reign. Let's look at application in in our lives. Satan's going to attack Israel and he's going to attack us. So we need to understand that. We need to understand that we're in a, a spiritual battle. It's very easy to lose sight of the fact that we're in a spiritual battle. Now, I don't think we need to look for Satan under every rock or blame every problem on Satan or give him too much credit. But we do need to be aware that we we are in a battle and learn how to be able to, to fight against the enemy. And especially in this area of accusation. So are we listening to the voice of the accuser? Is Satan winning a great victory in your life because he's telling you what a miserable dad you are? what a miserable mom you are, and you're aware of all of your failures as as a parent. You know, are you living in that place of accusation because of something you did 10 years ago? Maybe there was a, a summer where you fell away from the Lord, and you walked into sexual sin, and you were in a place that you never intended to be, and You've returned to the Lord and accepted God's forgiveness, but Satan's always telling you, you know, you can't be used by God because of what you did 10 years ago or, or 10, 10 months ago. He, he loves to bring that, that voice of accusation and to be able tonight to say, you know what? It is going to be a fight. God may choose to flip the switch and cause me to go from living in condemnation to living in forgiveness, or it might be a fight. It might be a fight. And I'm not going to allow the enemy to have this high ground of condemnation in my life. I'm going to hold on to the blood of the Lamb. I'm going to go through my day focusing on the fact that I'm loved by God. Jesus loves me, He died for me, and, and I'm forgiven. I'm going to apply the blood of the Christ to my life. I'm holding on to what Christ sacrificed. And then the word of my testimony, I want to go through my day speaking about what God has done in my life. I want to share what he's done in the past. I want to share what he's showing me right now. And I want to share what I know he's going to do in the future because they're the promises of his word. Watch what it does when it comes to victory over the voice of the accuser. I have a a few friends in my life when I know that when I see them, they're going to talk about what God's doing in their life probably within the first 10 minutes of the conversation. It usually goes like something like this. So what's God showing you? This is what he's showing me. And boom, they're, they're off, right? And I'm encouraged. I'm not always encouraged with the Broncos, but I'm always encouraged with what God's doing in someone's life. And don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to talk about the Broncos and all those other things, but man, share what God is doing in your life, you know? if if it's not all roses that's okay say hey it's a really tough season and i've got more questions and answers but i know that god is with me and i'm i'm holding on to to his promises maybe you're at a place of a lot of discouragement and you're saying you know what i could be really encouraged to hear what god's doing in somebody else's life and you're around believers just ask him say hey what what's god been doing in your life you know i've known you for For 10 years now, and I don't know how you came to know Christ as your Savior. What's God's story in your life? The the word of your testimony. As as you share it and hear it from others, you're built up because we're encouraged in faith. Satan doesn't have the, the final word. And then be willing to surrender and sacrifice our lives to Christ. We're not a culture of suffering, we're not a culture of pain. Many times we do everything we can to engineer our lives to be as comfortable as possible for ourselves and those that we love. But God's saying, look, don't fall in love with this life. Don't fall in love with the home. Don't fall in love with the cars. Don't fall in love with, with the raise and the, and the promotion and the, the pride of life. Don't, don't serve those things. Lose your life. Lose your life for my sake. And then you'll find life and you'll find freedom in Christ in seeking first uh, the kingdom of God. So as we close tonight, we're gonna come and celebrate communion. And as we take communion, make it personal and apply the blood of Jesus Christ to your heart. Maybe there's an area where you go, man, I've really been living in the accusation of the enemy. He's really been getting my number on this. And receive the forgiveness of God afresh in that area of your life. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then hold on to the blood of Christ. Then, before you go to sleep tonight, here's the application. Share what God has done or is doing in your life. Even if it's really short. If he's been encouraging you, you in a way, if he's been correcting you in a way, if there's a verse that's been on your heart, and I give you freedom to ask one another on your way out. Right? Just stop and talk with somebody. Say, "Hey, what's, what, what's God been doing in your life?" Text a friend. Some of you are going to make it out here without sharing a word of testimony. I realize that. Right? You get in your car and you know, text a friend. Say, you know, this verse has been on my heart or I've just been reflecting on how much God has, has been forgiving me. You know, if you're blessed enough to, you know, you, in your marriage, share it with your spouse tonight. If you've got kids in the home, share, share it with your kids. You know, if you, if you live alone, call, call a family member, call a friend, share that word of, of testimony. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and seek him together. Father, there's things in this chapter that we don't understand of how all this plays out with the dragon and the woman and the child. But we do understand that Satan's really good at accusing. Maybe we're living under the accusation of the enemy or we're allowing ourselves to to focus on the failures of others and we're hearing the, the voice of the accuser towards our brother or sister in Christ. We just pray tonight that you, Jesus, through who you are and your voice would would speak to our hearts and that we would be moved from condemnation to conviction and forgiveness and restoration. As we've been studying the word tonight, if you say, you know what, that's for me. I've, I've been living in condemnation or I've been ascribing condemnation to a brother or sister in Christ. Either way, condemnation's been getting the best of me. Would you just raise your hand? And I'd just like to pray with you. Just leave your hand up. And I think it's important to respond if this message is for you. Hands are coming up. If that's you, just raise your hand to the Lord. I'm, I'm living in condemnation. I'm ascribing condemnation to a brother or sister in Christ. and Father, you, you know each of us. And you see each hand that's, that's raised, that's just responding. Lord, and I'm sure that the lies of the enemy are thick. And we come together as a church family and we just pray in Jesus' name, according to your character and your nature, that you would set them free from the lies of the enemy, set them free from those lies of accusation. That they're, they're not good enough and that you don't love them and, and that they're a failure. And may you fill that with the truth that they're loved by you, that you, Jesus, created them, you died for them, you rose again, and that they could hold on to the blood of Jesus and you would just begin to peel off that condemnation and peel off that accusation. Lord, for those that have been hurt by another brother or sister in Christ and they've gotten to that place of listening to accusation and even moving into condemnation towards a brother or sister in Christ. God, we get there sometimes. And Lord, would you just set them free? We don't have to be the judge. We don't have to be the jury. We don't have to listen to those voices of accusation. You can go ahead and put your hands down. Lord, now as we take communion, may this be a a sweet time of fellowship with you. May you remind us of your great love upon the sacrifice of giving us your son. And would you help us moving forward to be more aware, more tuned in, when the enemy is trying to get us through deception and accusation. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.